Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Hey, what's up, y'all? Alan Kenny, co-host of Through the Keyhole, an Oklahoma Sooners fan podcast here. Uh, this is one of our special free episodes, but uh, you can support us on our Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash through the keyhole. Also, you can uh, check us out uh, on the social media platforms at Keyhole Pod and also um, anywhere you get podcasts. So please rate, review, subscribe, wherever that may be. We've got ESPN's Bill Conley on today's episode, so let's go ahead and uh, get started. So our guest today is college football stats wonk, Bill Conley of ESPN, to talk about his outlook for OU this upcoming season, and we'll talk about a few maybe uh, other analytics-related subjects. So uh, I've got him on here at an ungodly hour per usual uh, in the morning, (laughs) so let's go ahead and welcome him on. Bill, how you doing, man? I'm pretty good. This is nothing new for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think this is like year 30 or something like that. So <laughs> Always at like six in the morning. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Tradition. Well, you know, but soon enough, hey, we'll have uh, OU and Mizzou reunited. That's right. In yeah. uh, the SEC. So is that something you're looking forward to? Not looking not looking forward to you? <laughs> don't care? <laughs> yeah, I mean, as, as a Mizzou guy for a long, well, as a Mizzou guy from Oklahoma, yeah, I miss this one quite a bit. Like Texas... Mizzou, Texas, whatever. That that was more of a passive aggressive kind of thing. That's all Texas rivalries, I guess. Yeah. But um, so I didn't really care one way or the other about that one. But I miss Missouri OU. That was um, well, it wasn't always fun. Typically, it resulted in a pretty good o- Oklahoma win, but occasionally it didn't. <laughs> um, and and either way, it'll be good to have a reason for some friends to come up uh, next year. Yeah, there you go. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it sounds like uh, OU Mizzou will be probably a long-standing thing once uh, yeah. once things really get going. So that'll be that'll be fun. Um, well, but uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the Sooners. Obviously, um, I you know, looking back last year at OU, you know, it was kind of it seems like it was kind of one of those exercises in trying to figure out how transfers are going to really impact the sport and your ability to kind of forecast right because <laughs> uh you know i think you know i went back and looked at it and you know obviously you projected pretty significant gains for ou um on the defensive side of the ball in particular last year right right and you know i think what we ended up seeing is a lot of the returning production that you were factoring in right i mean a lot of those guys ended up playing you know maybe 40% fewer snaps, you know, for OU than they did for the previous team, right. something like that. Just like the, the impact wasn't there. I don't think. Yeah. I, I, it was my one question heading into last year with OU is, I mean, the, the, 
the especially with the portal, the the guys they brought in just didn't really blow me away all that much. Like TD Roof never even played, but he was really about the only the only guy who I looked at as a as somebody who could really contribute. Uh, you know, Lalu up front. Uh, you know, uh, basically bringing in a guy who was fine for Hawaii didn't really do much for me. Um, uh, Jeffrey Johnson, the, the Tulane tackle was fine. Like it just didn't really jump off the page to me. And, and none of those guys really start. Some of them got in the rotation, but what, what I kind of learned from OU last year, and there's no really good way to account for this is that, um, there's transfer volume and then there's actual bringing in the right guys. And, you know, when you're setting something up, you know, to make statistical uh, generalizations about everybody, it's kind of hard um, right. to to nail the quantity and the quality. I have tried to incorporate transfer recruiting rankings themselves this year uh, instead of just you sign eighteen guys with this level of production. Um, and I do think I'm kind of, I mean, the the bar keeps moving, right? Like that, I, I think I'm more prepared to account for the schools that are bringing in 15, 16, 18, 20 transfers, and then there's a school that's bringing in fifty, and and yeah. so <laughs> yeah, <God>. um, <laughs> and so that like we've already kind of changed the game again in that way. But as far as the the OUs go, I do think I'm in 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 kind of a better place this year because um, I mean that was the thing. Like heading into last year, I knew like I'm flying blind here. Like we, yeah. we have no idea. How like oh not to bring up uh, this example on an OU podcast, but USC. Not only did they bring in twenty guys, they brought in a future Heisman winner and the yeah. Iranian Bolitnikov winner, and and there was nothing I had to I'd never had to account for an example like that before, and an example didn't exist. So now it does, and and we can kind of sort of uh, we're we're not flying quite as blind now, right? You know, and it's kind of funny too because I think that. You mentioned uh, quality versus volume there, kind of, you know, I mean, there there was kind of this perception, I think, last year before the season that, you know, that Venables for this, you know, for kind of restocking the roster. I mean, you know, obviously you had to rely on the transfer portal for that yeah. reason, right? But I don't think that the, the perception was the, that the Oklahoma were big players in the portal. And I mean, I think they out of necessity for numbers. Yeah, but I mean really a lot in particular on the defensive side of the ball is more I'm thinking I mean they were really kind of relying on guys who were already there you know yeah yeah and even on offense I mean some of the the choices he made to bring in I mean two Mizzou guys two Mizzou backups yeah um like what what are you what are we what are we doing here like yeah, and, and neither yeah. of those guys uh did much obviously Parker or Hester so um, and I, you know, he's a culture guy. He spent the last t- decade working for Dabo Sweeney, who yeah. a spurned the transfer portal as much as possible, and b culture, 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 culture over everything else. And and so maybe that's what his goal was to look for. He spent a little too much time looking for fit instead of just pure raw quality uh, that could help him on the field. And, um, you know, just looking at the the level of the transfers he's brought in this year still hasn't loaded up by any means, but maybe we're seeing um, uh, a little better selection. We'll see. I like Bothroyd quite a bit. Um, obviously Trace Ford, OU fans are probably pretty familiar with him and he's pretty awesome. Um, so uh, the McCullough kid from Indiana. So maybe we're seeing a little bit higher level, um, with the, with the level of transfer, uh, being brought in. And that's pretty important because that defense still needs some work. Right. Right. So speaking, let's start with the defense then. Um, you know, 
it's kind of funny. There was a perception that the defense was really bad last year and it was not particularly good. Um, you know, looking at your numbers, though, if I recall, they were really weren't that far off, though, from the season before. Right. right. And, and the bar was too low, uh, yeah. obviously, from from uh, most of the Riley era, aside from 2020. Um, but, yeah, they were basically the same. They had the same numbers. And and it was a hard I mean, w- w- they were going fast enough to where they, they ended up pl- uh, facing the most plays in the country per game, almost the most drives. Part of that was the defense's fault for being too inefficient and not getting off the field. But part of it was just that they when you're going to run tempo, you need defensive depth. And, and that was a clear issue as well last year. So, um, obviously, the, the, the offense isn't going to stop going fast. Um, and, and so they need more bodies this year, but I think they got them, especially up front that, you know, they brought in quite a few linemen, a couple of them, I'm not real sure about, but, Mm. uh, Bothroyd and Ford and Lacey, like those guys should be able to, to, to find a role and, and play pretty well. I guess if I have any questions, um, it comes in the secondary secondary was, I guess the best of the, of the units on, on defense. Um, and, and, you know, you got Woody Washington, the, um, the Pearson kid from Texas tech is aggressive. Um, yes, I, I kind of, <laughs> yeah. I kind of follow aggression numbers and then quality numbers. And he certainly, you know, lots of forced incompletions or whatever, but you know, not, you know, when, when he gave up a completion, it was a pretty, pretty big one. Yeah. Um, but he's at least, um, an option there. And, and I, I guess I'm not completely sure about the cornerback position, but otherwise, you know, I think the front six will be a heck of a lot better and maybe that helps the secondary a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's kind of funny cause I look at it as, you know, last year, I know everybody expected just Brent Venables being there sprinkling right. kind of his, <laughs> his magic dust That's on right. the defense, you know, <clears throat> but I mean, I think they lost like, you know, four or five, six NFL guys off the defense from the year before. So, you know, I was kind of, I kind of looked at it as well. Like that's actually kind of a wash because I didn't see a lot of NFL talent out there last yeah. year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I guess, do you have a profile of the way, I mean, are Venables units generally considered on the super aggressive side or, I mean, how, how do you match that up? Do you? Well, anyway? it was, it's, he had the cheat code at Clemson, which is always having one of the five best defensive lines in the country. Right, yeah. Um, and that, you know, when you've got that, you don't have to be as aggressive. So, you know, what we saw last year was kind of the first time he had to really actually get a little more tactical, I think, mm-hmm. uh, than what we'd seen in a while. And and their blitz numbers were almost directly on the national average. They were uh, 62nd in blitzes per drop back. Um, and, they like just their kind of their formation profile, so to speak, was pr- interestingly um, pretty four three. Um, now, one of those three quote unquote linebackers is going to be, you know, your prototype nickelback like he yeah. had at Clemson. Um, but they were he was trying to keep guys close to the line of scrimmage. Um and it didn't really help the run defense at yeah. all. It wasn't, I mean, it was semi-disruptive, but very, very inefficient. If you're getting to the line of scrimmage, you were getting five yards further. Um, but it was kind of interesting. They were trying to keep bodies near the line of scrimmage. I'm not sure that's the best plan of action in the um 
in the big 12 overall. But again, if they had a strength last year, I think it was in the, in the past defense. So it didn't, you know, it didn't hurt them in that regard. So it was, I mean, it was interesting. I, and, and again, it was experimental. Like we, he he's gonna, we're going to get a better idea of what he actually wants to do this year. Um, and <laughs> we'll see what that is. I, I am, I just assume this is Brent Venable. So I just assume uh, things will kind of turn around on, on defense, but um, if he's committed to that tempo on offense, and I hope he is, oh, you should always be running tempo. It just feels right. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's committed to that, then that is always going to test his defense's depth and uh, staying power, so to speak. Right. You know, I actually wanted to, yeah, I wanted to bring that up because, you know, I think that tempo and the uh, offensive tempo and then the impact on your defense is, you know, <clears throat> it's kind of one of those things where I'm never quite sure just how much how big of an impact it does have. Um, I mean, because, you know, for example, Riley at OU, I mean, those offenses moved so slow. Yeah. They really, which is, which is kind of counter to his reputation or what I think right. people think, but you know, they were, so, they put so and it really didn't seem to make the defense better. No. And so, you know, I, I guess I think, I mean, do you believe though in, in that kind of, maybe uh you know relationship between tempo and then impact having a you know kind of negative impact on a defense overall well i think it's just a it's it's a decision you make um and if you have the depth it doesn't have to have any problems whatsoever it's just i mean it's just it's just part of having a tempo offense is that your your defense is going to face more plays um and it's it's you're going to have to account for that and and you can account for that and and things can work out great uh, but it just it's something you have to account yeah. for. It's all part of the package. Uh, and, um, and and yeah, in the end, it, it certainly held OU back last year because they weren't efficient enough to get off the field. And that's the other thing. If you're forcing three and outs on defense, hey, it's great. That's yeah. that's great. Um, but when you combine a really fast offense that's averaging 76 plays per game and your 78th and three and out percentage um, and really bad, like just 79th in success in my success rate measure, uh, let's see, 103rd in red zone yeah. touchdown, right? You're just you're never getting off the field. And when you combine that with a tempo offense, um, it's just going to exacerbate never being able to get off the field and eventually start giving up some big plays, too. So. Yeah, if I mean, again, he loaded up on the, uh, especially up front. That was, it was pretty clear he didn't think he had enough bodies up front last year. Um, and if he does this year and they can hold up there and, and get off the field a little easier, then the tempo can really, really start to pressure the opponent instead. Enjoy great food and drinks at the original Norman Hotspot and its first cocktail bar. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails is our choice for quality meals and drinks to enjoy the next time you're looking for a great night out. With locations in historic downtown Norman on Main Street and the Paseo Arts District in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma fans from all over the metro can enjoy Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Also, be sure to pick up or ask about Scratch's ready-made old-fashioned cocktail at your local wine and spirit store. Take the best Scratch concoction home to sit on your lounge chair and continue listening to this episode scratch kitchen and cocktails great food drinks and atmosphere right right well let's talk about the offense then i mean all in all given i think what they lost you know particularly the heisman trophy winning quarterback i actually thought that you know it might not have been always the most uh, the smoothest running operation but 
you know, it seems like Jeff Lebby actually did a fairly good job last year. Yeah, yeah I, I think um, it was funny watching. I follow enough OU fans. You know, they really weren't very happy with him. And maybe it's just because the bar was so incredibly high for Oklahoma's offense. Um, I'm looking at what seven straight years in the in my SP plus in the offensive top five. Uh, so the fact that they were only 10th last year, you know, that was a horrible, horrible disappointment, apparently. <laughs> But that tenth uh, rank, that number ten ranking includes the two games where Gabriel or one and three quarters yeah. games where Gabriel was hurt and the, uh, everything completely and totally fell apart. So for the other, you know, ten and a quarter or eleven and a quarter games, they were probably about seventh or eighth. Um, and you know, Gabriel, you know, it's. It, he doesn't have the the most incredibly strong arm in the world, but and he does kind of. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I, I he, he seems he, he, he seems kind of at his ceiling to a certain degree, mm -hmm. but it's pretty high ceiling. Like, he's he's a very very efficient quarterback. If he's got the options to get the ball out of his hands pretty quickly, um, you know, it, it can really really wear on a defense. And and so you know, the the run game was more efficient. And just looking at the numbers, it was better than I really ever grasped when I was watching OU. They were 16th in rushing success rate. Um, and, and then 20th on what I call standard downs, um, you know, the run pass down, so to speak, uh -huh. um, like those were, again, considering the, the way everything fell apart when Gabriel wasn't in there, um, those are very, very solid numbers. And, um, you know, I don't really see run game. I realize gray's gone, but I, I just kind of look at the, the, the bodies in the backfield. I'm pretty sure they're going to have a good run game. Um, I guess maybe I should be a little more worried about the offensive line than I am. That's another thing with OU, just like next time they have a bad offensive line, it'll be the first time in like 25 years. Um, but, and so, you know, maybe that's something to look at, but I just assume they're going to have a good run game and really it just all comes down to, um, the receiving toward receiving court did take some hits and, um, is a guy like Andrew Anthony or the, the freshman Padaway, uh, like, are these guys going to be able to actually fill in because they're going to need to Farouk seems like, a he's got more potential than he, than he showed last year. He had some good moments. Stoops is going to be your solid efficiency slot man, but they, they need more weapons than that. And we'll see if anybody steps up. Right. And I correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, your projections you find pretty strong, um, you know, in terms of uh, returning production at receiver being a pretty good, pretty good indicator of how uh, the offense will perform in the following year, right? Yeah, yeah. Basically, running back, there's like no correlation yeah. between, um, you know, losing yards at running back and and regressing the next year. Uh, and so it really comes down to quarterback receiving core. And as I get better line stats, line, the offensive line ends up carrying more weight in the formula now too. Um, you know, back in the day, I was only able to really collect starts and and that didn't do much but now that i have like snap counts and stuff um it's a there's a pretty clear you know, correlation between line continuity and and offensive improvement or regression the next year so the fact that you lose three starting offensive linemen but bring three starting offensive linemen in from other places that kind of negates that uh affects a little that effect a little bit and 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 you know the projections are pretty friendly Right. Well, let's, you know, there's also kind of like just the broader idea of just, you know, kind of the in game coaching and game management, yeah. things like that, you know, and uh, that's where our, that's one area where I think that 
Brent Venables took a lot of heat last year and, and, you know, probably rightfully so, you know, I mean, you mentioned, for example, his uh, tendencies on fourth down probably cost him Mm -hmm. some points last year. Yeah. And it was funny. Um, you know, I, yeah, I wrote a piece about fourth downs a while ago and and who who kind of profited from them, so to speak. I was I had a I had fun looking at basically the points you scored after a fourth down conversion versus the points you allowed after a turnover on downs. Um, you know, most of the teams that that profited the most were both aggressive on fourth downs and successful on fourth downs. Um, OU was not super aggressive, especially by big 12 standards, but they basically went for it as much as you would expect. There was 62nd in quote unquote go rate um, 33rd beyond the, like on the opponent's side of the field. Like they basically went for it when most teams go for it, they were just terrible yeah. at converting fourth downs. Um, really bad. Shockingly bad at, at converting fourth downs. And I look at that as kind of a fluke, I guess, just from the perspective of like you were efficient on all other downs. So it was probably just, you know, we're talking about, a, a you know, they, they went for it 27 times on fourth down. That's probably not a very big sample. Um, and, and so the fact that they stunk on fourth downs and it cost them, I, that's not necessarily going to happen again uh, this coming year. I am very curious knowing how the fourth down failures and getting yelled at about it and whatever, like that can kind of cause coaches to turtle up a little bit. I'm curious if it changes his tendencies at all. I hope it doesn't. Um, but yeah, basically they went for it basically more or less when you're supposed to and never got it. And, and right. that was kind of, an, they ended up um, that profit number. They ended up, um, uh, let's see. I'm looking at my stats. I missed it, but they basically, they were a um, hundred. They gave up 50 points after turnovers on down, which was the fourth worst in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only did they fail to convert fourth downs, their defense then let the other team go right down the field and, and score some costly points. Right. Um, is, do you think that fourth down offense is a skill? Um, I know there was a mentality bit to it. Um but I, I'm trying to basically treat it as a down, um, okay. you know, just another offensive snap and look at it from that. Cause most of the time it's the teams that are efficient overall that are going to be efficient on fourth down, partially because you're probably facing shorter for fourth downs and partially just because you're good and therefore yeah. you're more likely to get the yards you need to get. So I, I, I am trying to mostly treat it in, in, in that way. OU is obviously an exception when you're 21st overall in success rate and 108th in fourth down success yeah. rate. There's some, some oddity there, whether it was just that they, you know, um, Let's see. No, I, I was going to say whether it was that they were going for it, you know, on fourth and too long, that wasn't really the case. One of the things I look at too is what I've been trying to call normal circumstances where it's like fourth and three or less, mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're past your 40. Um, and during it, you know, based on, I think this is based on ESPN's FPI, you have between like a 20 and 80% win probability. So basically the game's within reach one way mm-hmm. or the other. And so it's a semi important that this this kill sample sizes but they basically faced nine of those uh situations in um 2022 and um like they 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 kind of fourth three or less so you were talking about some you know short Mm -hmm. uh, situations they still only converted four of them uh which was 104th overall so they just didn't execute and i assume if they do it all again the same, they probably execute better. Um, and they probably will execute better this year. Right. Um, so I guess then, you know, kind of, you know, maybe finishing up OU here, you know, 
there's a, you know, obviously you have kind of projections in terms of, uh, you know, what an expected win, right. You know, mm-hmm. based on how our team performed, I mean, and then there, you know, and so, you know, OU probably in terms of the actual number of games won last year, if I recall, really kind of underperformed that expected win number. Yeah. Is that, a, I mean, is that just, is that just randomness? Do you think that there's <laughs> something to that in terms of coaching? You know, I, that, that's one of the things that I wonder about is, you know, is, is there, would there be, are there issues in terms of how Venables is managing that's costing them other, other than the fourth down thing? Yeah, once we get enough a good enough sample, we can kind of split it up. Like in short, in small samples, there's a lot of randomness going on. Over a very large sample, we tend to see certain coaches always overachieve or underachieve as well. Overachieve. We don't really see the same guys underachieve all the time because they're probably getting fired. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I basically have a number that I call post-game win expectancy, which is, you know, everything that feeds into SP plus. Let's look at that with this specific game, your success rates and big plays and red zone and all this stuff. Um, and basically, as, as I like to put it, I just toss all those numbers up in the air and it says, you know, you would with these stats from this game, you would have expected to win this game X percent of the time. So, um, you know, with OU last year, it was 100 percent for UTEP, Kent State and Nebraska. There's no way you can produce the stats of those games and not win. And, and they, they won by about the amounts you would expect. But then like Kansas State was 40 percent. It was basically a toss up. They they. Looking at the stats, they would have lost that game by an average of two points, uh, and they obviously lost by seven. Next to TCU and Texas were zero percenters, obviously. Um, We we, we don't really need to go into that. But then, like, the Baylor loss was another toss-up, 46%. Um, That should have been just right at a – it was almost exactly a a coin toss, and they lost. Um, At West Virginia, they were a 69% win expectancy. They should have won that by about four. They lost by three. Um, Texas Tech was 61% win expectancy and they lost by three. Um, so basically you just, you add all those up, uh, all those win expectancies up and you kind of have just a general, here's the number of games you should have won on average. And for OU, it was 8.0. So there were two full wins behind where they should have been. So what I was saying, like over enough time, Bill Snyder teams always won about one more game than they were supposed yeah. to. Urban Urban Meyer uh, was another one that was always good. The option schools, basically. Um, but the fact that you underachieved by two, maybe that that absolutely could have been bad coaching. And it was also, you know, at this stage, I'm just willing to say it was pretty random and they were probably an eight and five team. And that's the way we should be looking at this team this year. Um, you know, that they're, they're coming off of an eight and five season and they're projected to improve a little bit. So maybe that means nine wins or something. Oh, got it. Got it. Yeah. So looking at the rest of the big 12, I mean, this is kind of, and I know that you and I, you and I, you know, had some offline dialogue about this, but, you know, it's like Texas, you look at it and everything, everything lines up that this should be the <laughs> year, right? For for them in the Big 12. But there's just something about that team that, you know, it, it, they just can't, can't get there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Historically. So, I mean, like this, but this is like you, if you don't win the conference this year, like, I mean, when, you know, oh, yeah. of course, when they're never going to be back in the big 12 after this, but you you get my drift. Yeah, no, I mean, we're talking about, you know, randomness versus bad coaching in two years with Sark. Um, the second order win total is what I call it with the post game win expectancies. Basically SP plus sees them as a team that probably should have won about 17 games and then won 13. Yeah. Um, 
and and two straight years they underachieved by a pretty significant amount. So that's that's not good. Again, it could be random, um, but we got a bigger we we got a two year sample of them underachieving, and so that is kind of you know, Quinn Ewers. When I was writing my Big Twelve preview a couple of weeks ago, it was it was I mean Quinn Ewers on in the first, second, and third quarters, and on first, second or first and second downs, rock solid quarterback, horrible in the fourth quarter, horrible on third downs. Um, and you know, my stat brain says, well, those are we're, we're you know we're making, we're creating smaller samples. And just because he was yeah. bad from bad at that doesn't mean he will continue to be, maybe everything's great this year. Um, but you know, it's really, when you watch football, it's really hard to move past the guys who stink on third down and stink on in the fourth quarter. Um, Cause those failures just are, are so important and they, they create such a problem like that Oklahoma state game. They had 38 different chances to win that game yeah. and, and, and made a terrible play every single time they had a, a chance to win that game. And that really sticks in your mind. So it's like they're, you know, they finished, I think seventh last year in SP plus, I think sixth in FPI, like the predictive stats loved them. And, and it's very easy to explain why the teams that win every game by three touchdowns and, and suffer all their losses by seven points or less, that almost always results in a better win total the next Mm. year. And it's always a, almost always a sign of just that was poor fortune and then things will be fine. Um, Boy, it's, it's we just we just have to see it with Texas. Like I, I know why the numbers say what they do. I know they they should absolutely be the favorites this year. And and I mean, I realize, you know, we're setting Texas up to fail in the, in that regard. But I they should absolutely be the favorites. They they probably should have won the conference last year. And we just we've seen them below it too much these last two years, especially. And they gotta they gotta prove that the the, the, the it was just randomness. Yeah. So if you're looking for a team that might merge, you know, from the, you know, obviously you've got Oklahoma one and two, but that three to 14, I mean, who are you looking at? Who are the real candidates? You know, not, not don't, and don't give me seven teams, you know, give me like two. Oh, geez. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's hard. Um, No, I, what's so much fun about talking about the big 12 or it's kind of fun and then kind of repetitive is whenever games decided by three points, um, you can yeah, pretty much it's... look at who was a little too good last year in those games. They're probably going to fall. Who was a little too bad in those games are probably going to rise. You know, Texas and OU went like a combined one and nine in one score games or something last year. They're probably going to both uh, get, even if they're not good in those situations, they're probably going to be better than that. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, TCU went like six and one in one score games. I think, I am pretty confident in TCU's roster. Um, like I think they're going to be a, a solid team. They're not going to go six and one on one score games again. Um, Texas Tech went four and zero, I think, in one yeah. score games, if I remember correctly, and and they mastered fourth downs. But it was a, a situation where they were super aggressive, and it was awesome to watch. And I hope they're always like that. They were also a little too successful on fourth downs, and they probably won't be as good. And it's going to be looking at the preseason poll, the media poll from this week, that's the team or last week. That's the team I really look at as a, we're probably expecting too much of Texas tech. Um, mm-hmm. They'll probably get better on paper or, 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 or be, be very close on paper, but miss a couple fourth downs, lose a couple more close games and and fall back to that kind of seven win mark. I bet that's kind of what I'm expecting from them. So to answer your question, if, if, if we're leaving OU and Texas out of the situation, you, there really are like seven teams and I've gone back yeah. and forth constantly on who I think are the most likely to, 
uh, hit that, you know, be the most likely contenders for a title game spot. I guess I'm still kind of focusing on TCU, but I, Kansas State has the line play. I don't know if they have any playmakers. Um, Baylor I, I will be better because they were a little too poor in, in fourth downs and close game situations, but how, I don't really trust their defense. Uh, UCF, I kind of like from a roster mm-hmm. standpoint. Um, I think they've got a lot of athleticism, but why the heck did they completely fall apart late last year? Was it just that you know Plumlee was kind of hobbling around and therefore everything, nothing else worked, but the, the defense should have probably been better. Like, I don't trust them. So who the heck do I trust? I, I yeah. TCU and Kansas State is who I'm coming back to, and I don't like that at all because they're going to lose some close games. I will say, I, I, when I went through the process of writing the previews, I ended up liking Oklahoma State more a, a lot more than I expected to. Yeah, um, I think they're going to be a lot. I, I realized the headline for them is, hey, they lost a lot of transfers, and therefore they're going to be terrible. But Gundy teams aren't ever terrible. And um, if Alan Bowman, you know, he's got such a weird history here where he was yeah. hurt a lot, and now he's just sat the bench for two years. Like, if he's the quarterback for 12 or 13 games – OU is going to win, you know, eight and nine games and, yeah. and they're probably going to be just fine. And if he doesn't, then, I mean, what we saw of Wrangell and Gunnar Gundy last year was terrible. Yeah. Um, but if, if they're stable at quarterback, I think they're going to be fine. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's, that's a, such a fascinating case there. Yeah. And then, I mean, you throw the four new teams into the mix and it's like, man, you really just don't know, you know? No, no. Oh. No, I I I picked I when I I ranked Big Twelve teams on Twitter last week, and I met, I had BYU last, um, and a bunch of BYU fans got mad about that. I think BYU is a top sixty team. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly. They're like they're like nine teams that could be in that kind of thirty to sixty range, and I had to pick one of them last. And I don't I don't quite trust the their roster as much as like you know Kansas has the offense, Houston has the offense, Iowa State has the defense. I'm not sure what BYU has, but it's gonna be a super fun conference. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Bill, I'll let you get back to Wimbledon. Um, <laughs> anything you want to promote or uh, anything like that? Um, well, this is usually where I just say go to Twitter and and find everything I write. I don't. I mean, go go wherever uh, right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess it's still Twitter. Um, but no, I'm just uh, cranking stuff out. And if yes, if you like Wimbledon, I, I've been really enjoying the tennis writing these last couple of weeks. And if you don't, I apologize because nah, yeah, cl- it's kind of cluttered my social media feeds a little. Bit. <laughs> no, it's a nice break in the summers, you know. So <laughs> yeah, well, uh, like we're like 30 years or whatever going strong on this. Bill, right. So. <laughs> Oh, anyway, always appreciate it, man. Here's to another 30. <laughs> there we go. All right. Thanks again to Bill Conley. Yes. And make sure to check out everything he does there. He's a uh, pioneer in college football analytics. Uh, and thanks to you all for joining us too. For Through the Keyhole, I'm Alan Kenny. Take it easy. <laughs>